Maybe you've noticed within the church as a whole, there are many different forms of leadership and governing. And while some have argued about it or even divided over it, Pastor Ed Taylor says there's something more important to be concerned with. Here's the thing. Once you settle on what you believe the Bible teaches on a particular form of leadership, don't trust in it. Don't trust in the form of leadership. Trust in the Lord of the leaders. Because what I have found in my observation over all these forms and having friends in many different churches and many different styles of churches, including the Calvary family of churches, what I have found is that the form of government, as long as it's biblical, is not as important as the character and the integrity of those that have been entrusted with spiritual leadership. That's the key. This is amazing grace. Hi there, friend. Great to have you in our listening family as we get ready to open the Word and apply it to our lives. We call the program Abounding Grace, and it features the teaching ministry of Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll be in 1 Kings 14 if you want to find your place there now. Today, we'll be encouraged to follow God's loving lead as we go about serving and ministering in the church. Yes, there are a variety of different forms of church government and a lot of confusion in this area, I might add. And Pastor Ed will help us sort through this to arrive at God's intention for each of us in the church. First Kings chapter 14, uh, as we turn our attention to the Word of God, and we're in a season, as you know, of the kingdom of God, the nation of Israel that is divided. Unfortunately, no longer one, but two. And we're studying the ups and downs, mostly the downs of the divided kingdom. Israel's in the north, starting with Jeroboam, Judah in the south with Rehoboam. And we know this to be true, that division always ends poorly. A house divided, Jesus says, will not, cannot stand. And division's always ugly among the people of God. It's unfortunate. It exists in our humanity. It's hard to solve. In the spirit, the Lord is able to bring things together together. There's a sweet unity that's available to all of us in the Spirit of God. And I realize some of you listening in right now are in very divisive situations that you wish would end. We need to just keep praying that the Lord would act, that, that God would intervene, that hearts would be softened, that humility would win over. Others of you listening in are the divisive ones. And the word of the Lord to you is to repent. To repent with all the failure that we learn of in most of the kings we learn some important lessons lest you get bogged down remember as we're going through the bible together one of the advantages is that you get to read ahead and you can soak it in before you ever come to bible study before you ever turn on the computer you can soak it in and lest you get weary of all the failures that we read of there's some highlights of victory and success in there but there's much to be learned from failure 
There's much to be learned really looking at other people's failures. You know, we don't always have to be the ones that fail in order to learn. We can learn from the examples of others, both in their good example, and we can learn how not to be in their bad example. But one thing we learn, and if you're taking notes, write this down. This is something that's so clear. And if we don't already know it, I pray by the time we end uh, either our study today or the entirety of our studies and through the Kings and Chronicles, it's simply this. We learn how completely incapable man is in reigning over man. How incredibly incapable you and I are in our own strength and our own wisdom to rule over man. And there have been all sorts of attempts to do this. All sorts of inventions All sorts of different types of governments that have been tried from the very beginning of civilization and every single one of them has failed to accomplish its end goal. Even some of the best forms of government, some of the ones that most of us would completely agree with, have not successfully ruled over man. Why? Because man is corrupt. And the best of men... The best of men are still men at best. (laughs) The best of men. And it doesn't matter any type of system. Once you reject God as ruler, any system will fall short. Even in a system like ours, in in our own government, the way it sits today with its checks and its balances, there are glaring weaknesses that man has been able to exploit in our own governmental system, in our own country, there, there have been glaring weaknesses that men over the years, and women for that matter, have exploited for their own selfish gain and motives. And the same is true in the body of Christ. For us as a church, the church, so much arguing and disagreeing and, and, and so much pressure and, and, man, everybody just wanting to make sure that their form of government is best happens in the church how a church should be overseen. I'm reminded of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He writes, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, that when the chief shepherd appears, who received the crown of glory does not fade away. Peter, he gives a great exhortation and encouragement and instruction on how to lead. And he gives point by point that we've looked at in, uh, in other Bible studies through Second Peter. But for the time of our Bible study tonight, It's enough to say that there are varying ways among the body of Christ today that churches are led and overseen. The word elder there in in 1 Peter chapter 5, the word elder literally can be translated pastor, elder, or overseer. They're all interchangeably in the New Testament. The word elder, presbyteros, is a word that describes the man, the mature man. Not necessarily in age, but in spiritual maturity. There's another word used for leadership or leaders. It's the word bishop or episkopos. And this describes the ministry. It means overseeing. It means not to be overbearing or lording over. And pastor is the method or the methodology of leadership. 
whereby God would have us in lead, as leaders to feed and tend the flock. I think the greatest example of leadership comes from Jesus himself, of course. But if there was just one element besides the cross, it would be the time that Jesus washed feet and he served his disciples. He took the place of the lowest servant in order to serve, and we never go wrong when we choose that. And because there's different methodologies in the church, it's led to a lot of confusion, a lot of consternation, a lot of argumentation over how churches should be run. And it's using these very Greek words uh, that we just mentioned. For example, there's the Presbyterian form of leadership in the church where that involves a plurality of elders ruling with co-equal authority within the church. And many churches are overseen that way. There's the Episcopal type of church, or often also can be referred to as a pastor-led type of church. They're kind of interchangeable, although there's also distinctions. But Episcopal church is where one person, often referred to as the bishop, oversees many other leaders and churches throughout a region. Some churches are overseen that way. Some churches are overseen in a congregational way, where everything in the church is ratified by a church vote. Nothing really moves forward without everyone's approval. Then there's the pastor-led church that's modeled, as we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, by Moses or Paul or Timothy or Titus, where God will raise up and use a man to pastor a flock and raising up spiritual leadership of accountability around them together. And there's another model of leadership that's become very popular in the last 20 years, and that is the leadership where the business world has come into the church, and now the church is run like a business. And it's referred to like a business, and we use the same titles that are used in the business world. And I would say that in some of the other forms of government that mentioned, uh, you see them in the Bible. You don't see this business model. It's just something that is more Western from the Western culture that's come in. Um, and the other ones that you see in the Bible, Presbyterian, Episcopos, elders, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Once you settle on what you believe the Bible teaches on a particular form of leadership, don't trust in it. Don't trust in the form of leadership. Trust in the Lord of the leaders. Because what I have found in my observation over all these forms and having friends in many different churches and many different styles of churches, including the Calvary family of churches, what I have found is that the form of government, as long as it's biblical, is not as important as the character and the integrity of those that have been entrusted with spiritual leadership. That's the key. When you look at the qualities and qualifications that Paul lays out for young Timothy in appointing elders, you find that they are character issues in a man's life. They are character issues. It's not a position for the person. It's a position of the heart that matters. And, and you can have, you know, whatever form of government that you're most comfortable with, but, but here's the thing. If the wrong people are put into places of leadership, or if the right people are put into positions of leadership, and sometime down the road, turn away from the Lord, it doesn't matter what system of government is there. There's going to be trouble. Because what I've found in the body of Christ, and I think it's true for you, I know it's certainly true for me, that in order for me to really receive from my pastor, I need to trust him. I need to trust him. And I do trust him. I do trust my pastor, Jeff Johnson. I trust him. And I believe that when he prays, he hears from the Lord. I don't think he's a perfect man, and neither am I. I know some of you could say the same thing about me. You say, Ed, I trust you. And for that, I take very, very seriously. And at the same time, you can also say, I trust you, but I know you're not a perfect man. 
And we can all get an amen for that. I'm surprised Marie didn't say amen. She knows. She lives with me. She knows. I'm not a perfect man. Neither are the pastoral men here. We're not perfect men. But I believe we have a team of men that our hearts are set to seek the Lord. We want to hear from the Lord. We want to serve you well. We want to own up to our mistakes. We want to humble ourselves before you. We want, to, we want to serve God so that you have joy and we have joy, but none of us are perfect. And I believe what God is looking for are leaders that serve and servants that lead. And, and we don't ever leave servanthood. The way of ministry, you know, as you think of all the responsibilities you get, the, way, the more responsibility the Lord gives you, whether it's in the church or in the world, because every believer is a leader. Every believer has leadership because you have the very Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. And God is a leader. And whatever, what, what realm of life you're in, where you work, what cubicle you're in, what bus you drive, or what phone you answer, you, have the, that, you, are a, you are a follower of Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And because of your presence of where you are, whether you're at home raising the kids or you're homeschooling the kids or you're teaching kids in the pub, wherever you are, you're a leader. And the greater you're a servant, the greater leader will you be. And as you get more responsibility, as God gives you more responsibility, whether it's through the leadership of your church here or you get a promotion at work, as God begins to enlarge your sphere of influence and enlarge your ability to speak into people's lives, you don't become less of a servant. You need to match that, that, that promotion, if you will. The Bible says that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but God puts down one and raises up another. So only promotion comes from the Lord. It wasn't your supervisor. It wasn't everybody voting for you. It wasn't your employee of the month plaque that got you the promotion. God gave you that promotion. And he deserves the credit for that. And the way that you respond that, the way you respond to that is that the greater responsibility that you and I are given, the greater the servant we must be. If you don't match greater responsibility with greater servanthood, you will deceive yourself and quite possibly hurt people in a very significant way and miss out what the Lord is speaking to you. Now, we spent a considerable amount of time on that because the chapter before us it's pretty straightforward, and we'll pull out a few things, but it's a pretty straightforward chapter, so pick up with me in verse 1 with all that in mind as we watch the failures of the kings and we're reminded where we're at. Verse Kings chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick, and Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise, disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be a king over this people. Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now don't miss the verse 1 at that time. What time? Well, look back in verse 33 of chapter 13. Uh, after this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. Verse 34, this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam. At that time, his son got sick. His son got sick, and so he sends his wife to find a prophet. The very prophet that spoke to him that he would be king. 
He, he isn't asking for counsel. There's no indication he's asking for counsel. There's no indication that he's asking for prayer. There's no indication that he wants to hear from the Lord. It just seems as if, and, and I think we can pull from the context, that he just wants to know the future. And as he sins, he sends her and he wants her to be disguised. And he, she finally meets up with Ahijah. And it says that Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now, he wasn't able to see, but he could hear. And this is a great picture. If we were developing this for just a topical Bible study, we'll see with Ahijah, Ahijah becomes a great picture of not being able to see physically, but able to see spiritually, as you'll see in the text. Verse 5. Now, the Lord had said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be that when she comes in, that she will pretend to be another woman. Now, verse 5, you might want to mark, put a star around it, put a heart right next to it. I want God to speak to me like this. I hope you do. You know, your eyes don't have to be glazed over. I mean, there are so many times where people are pulling the wool over our eyes, where they're flat out lying. And they're flat out not telling the truth. And we can see perfectly, but we just don't see spiritually. And here's an example of God telling us exactly what's going to happen. I don't know about you, but I want God to speak to me like that. I want God to reveal things to me that I don't know. And that I can't see. And, and that I am uncertain. I have to say many times in ministry, God has revealed to me after the fact. That's a pretty painful revelation. He's revealed to me after the fact. But Lord, talk to me like this. <laughs> Maybe that'll be your prayer tonight. God, talk to me like this. Give me the scoop. Maybe you have a situation right now where you just don't know what is happening. Well, man, look at Now the Lord said to Ahijah, and I believe you, can, you have an even deeper relationship with God than Ahijah did because the Spirit of God lives in you permanently. And so it was, verse 6, when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. <laughs> the disguise did not work. But you know what I see here? He believed the word of the Lord. Come in, wife of Jeroboam. If you like to write in your Bibles there, you can write the word busted. <laughs> because even if it doesn't happen, even if it doesn't happen, even if God didn't speak to Ahijah, even if Ahijah didn't say, come in, wife of Jeroboam, guess what? She was busted all along. God knew. This is no surprise to God. You know, we, we don't get anything over on God in our lives. We can't hide anything. And so here, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, verse 7, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all of his heart to do only what was right in his eyes, but you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free, and I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it's all gone. 
The disguise does absolutely nothing. The blind prophet could see right through it and was given a word from the Lord. Jeroboam, you're a horrible leader. You haven't acknowledged me in your life. And the worst of the worst, verse 9, you've done more evil than all who were before you. What a testimony. Leading his people into idolatry. And because of that, your family will suffer. Verse 11. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. For the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Verse 14. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they've made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. What a strong word. What a hard word to deliver. But he was faithful. He obeyed. Verse 17. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzah. When she came to the threshold of the house... The child died, and they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant, Ahijah, the prophet. Now, the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed, they're written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. So she was sent back with a difficult word. And on top of the horrific tragedy, the rest of the family will die as well. It would only be a couple of years before the fullness of the prophecy would be completed. A man by the name of Baasha not only, did not only kill Nadab, but also the entire house of Jeroboam. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and he's been in 1 Kings 14 today. The message is called Following God's Loving Lead, and you can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Do a search for 1 Kings 14. Well, Pastor Ed, as you were talking about church leadership today and the various forms that exist, I'm sure some may be wondering, what style of leadership has Calvary Church Colorado embraced? Would you touch on that? You know, Larry, so much controversy surrounds um, the forms of church leadership and church government today that it's really too bad. Um, but it is good to speak to the biblical form of leadership that we have here at Calvary Church, and, and it's known as the pastor-led model, where God appoints and anoints a man to lead and then surrounds that man with godly men as elders and pastors to serve the church and godly men and women to serve the church in oversight and leadership. It's just a beautiful way that God has demonstrated, not just in the Old Testament, through men like Abraham, through men like Moses or Joseph, but also in the New Testament. Uh, the model of Jesus was to surround himself with godly men and train them. Paul was a leader who raised up godly men and established them in the ministry, like Timothy and Titus, and, and yet it's a cooperative effort. Um, we serve together and we lead together, and the, the chiefest form or the most important form of church government is 
that it be biblical, but that it also be filled with a godly man. And so the character of the person really determines the strength of the leadership. And the biblical form of leadership that we have here is a pastor-led church, and it's a beautiful uh, cooperation between the elders and the pastors of the church that assist me in leading and guiding and serving this precious congregation and this precious city until the Lord returns. Great question. Maybe you've noticed God has always been interested in turning unlikely people into a faithful follower, from prostitutes to tax collectors and even normal everyday fishermen. In the book, Jesus Revolution, Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn recall a time when there was a great spiritual awakening. God transformed an unlikely generation. And Pastor Greg and Ellen believe God can do it again. We'd like to send you a copy of Jesus Revolution for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll return to First Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 